5 o'clock in Pirate Country, and 94.3 The Game is going to get you home with the P-Man. In 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Lock it in. Turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. to the weekend feel good friday edition as i've said many times before this week's been the longest two months ever has it not ben byram producing today's show hello ben hey ben what's going on p man got some big news going on (laughs) oh we do we'll get to all of it in a moment cy seymour promised he'd be with us so we're going to talk to silas about the COVID issues inside the pirate basketball program no game tomorrow for ecu hoops the game against temple has been postponed because of the pause with pirate basketball in case you've been living under a rock in eastern north carolina for the last 24 hours Uh, also nick nikki novak will be with us uh nikki's gonna we're gonna talk about I've been because of everything that's going on this week and schedule changes, and I have not had the occasion to watch it yet. So here's my plan. This evening, after the show this evening, I'm watching it tonight so I can watch part two Sunday. Okay, all right. right. I saw it was posted on HBO Max, so I need to go check it out. Yeah, and so I would encourage you to do the same. Uh, Part two will air at 9 o'clock. Now, the thing I've noticed with the Max, the HBO Max, is with – um, showtime, I can, if a, if a show comes out, I usually can watch it before it airs live. Does that mean I can kind of watch it with the on-demand feature within showtime uh, or a day or two or the day of? I can't do that with HBO. I don't like that. Uh, but anyway, that's because uh, that's late night, and I've had some late nights here lately uh, and uh, don't like it. Okay, uh, but uh, hey, Ben, uh, we're going we're gonna to give our picks on the NFL. But we have big news today uh, as far as ECU athletics goes. That's like the glass breaking when Stone Cold would come to the room. Oh, right, boy. People are throwing their popcorn, throwing babies, whatever they can get their hands on. <laughs> it's going skyward. Uh, today's Pirate Report is uh, involving ECU baseball. The the announcement yesterday, and Ben, you did a great job covering this. There was the unfortunate uh, bit of news that I guess 10 players are caught up in a uh, COVID spike within the baseball program, right? Yep, that was from uh, themselves. That, which it was yeah, that was from the university. Shocking. That was interesting. It was interesting. It really was. Uh, but the Pirate baseball schedule is out. 34 home games installed at Clark LeClaire Stadium, the the 18th annual Keith LeClaire Classic, 32 games in the American home-and-home contests with in-state foes UNC Chapel Hill and Duke. Uh, That is uh, what highlights the schedule here. Ben, are you ready for me to run through? Some of the some of the details, some of the highlights. Let's do it. Center fields are playing. All right, Pirate Baseball opening 
February 19th. That's a Friday. A three-game set with Rhode Island. And then on February 23rd, a Tuesday game against nationally ranked Duke at home. All the times for this to be announced. Pirates will hit the road for the first time on the weekend of February the 26th through the 28th. They'll play three games in scenic Statesboro, Georgia against Georgia Southern. And then uh, come back home to play ODU on March 3rd. That's a Wednesday. The Keith LeClaire Classic this year will get you to an Appalachian State. That's a three-game set March 5th through the 7th. That'll be a busy weekend. There's Pirate Hoops that weekend. Uh, I think uh, some of the high school basketball, those are the regionals that weekend. So uh, there's a lot going on uh, during that stretch on the ECU campus, assuming the regional Minji's Coliseum again. There'll be a lot of activity on those days. Uh, March 9th, the Pirates travel to Durham to take on Duke. That's a Tuesday. And then the uh, weekend of March 12th through the 14th, ECU welcomes the Charlotte 49ers to Clark LeClaire Stadium. And then coming up on uh, St. Patty's Day, a trip to UNC, wonderful. The Sea Squawks and the Pirates renewing hostilities uh, in Wilmington. And uh, then a series against Illinois State, March 19th through the 21st. March 23rd, Pirates at UNC Chapel Hill, Boschmer Stadium. Uh, they also will play the Tar Heels on March 30th, the following week. That game, Clark LeClaire in Greenville, sandwiched in between a three-game set with St. John's. And then the American season starts, and uh, the midweek games virtually go away. None of those are going to be played during the American season. And the uh, series for the American will be four games in three days. Pirates open play in the American uh, the weekend of April Fool's Day. On uh, Thursday, April 1st, it'll be a game at Cincinnati, or versus Cincinnati, excuse me, through April 3rd. Uh, a four games in three days set between the Pirates and Bearcats. Uh, Pirates will return to the field at home the following uh, Friday, the 9th for a four-game and three-days set with Memphis. So that's the ninth through the 11th. Uh, they'll take their first conference road trip to Houston. Pirates uh, playing against the Cougars Friday through Sunday, the 16th through 18th of April. April 23rd through the 25th, Friday through Sunday, a uh, home series three, a four-game set in those three days with uh, UCF. Pirates head to Wichita State. April 30th through May 2nd, Friday through Sunday there for that four-game in three days. And uh, on May 7th, P-Man's birthday, through May 9th, four games in three days, Clark LeClaire Stadium as the Pirates will take on Tulane. Uh, Cincinnati will be the road opponent Friday, May 14th through the 16th, and the Pirates wrap up the season. This is a, a kind of an interesting part of, this, of the year, assuming we get there. Uh, May 20th through the 22nd, that's a Thursday through Saturday, ECU will wrap up the regular season with four games in three days at USF in Tampa. Uh, Pirates, uh, I would assume, would remain in Florida for a few days because the AAC Baseball Championship is scheduled for Clearwater beginning on Tuesday, May 25th. So that is the ECU baseball schedule, and it is... uh, Uh, Been released today. Go to our uh, social media to check it out. We've got the uh, links to the articles posted there. Uh, But Pirate Baseball will begin February 19th, a three-game set 
uh, at home against Rhode Island for Cliff Godwin and the Pirates, who are uh, appearing in the uh, teens in a lot of the preseason national polls. We will uh, talk to Coach Godwin on Monday on the Patrick Johnson Show. We'll visit with him, talk about the schedule, and uh, talk about uh, the news yesterday that there is a uh, COVID outbreak. Ten baseball players on the roster or ten uh, people affiliated with the team uh, with uh, a COVID-19 uh, diagnosis or something along those lines. So that is what we're uh, looking at uh, there, and that is today's Pirate Report as far as ECU baseball goes. We're going to delve a little more into uh, the Pirate basketball situation. Uh, Cy Seymour, analyst for uh, ECU basketball coverage uh, on the radio here on 94.3 The Game and 107.9 WNCT. Uh, we'll talk with Silas about that uh, next and the, and the situation and what this means uh, for the schedule and really for the team right now. So stay tuned. Get you to the weekend edition of the Patrick Johnson Show rolls on. Videos, articles, and what's going on in the Pirate Nation. I thought that's what Facebook updates were for. Like and comment on 94.3 The Game's Facebook page right now. More of the Patrick Johnson Show is coming up on 94.3 The Game and 94.3thegame.com. Just follow me. We're doing it for the gram. Check out pics from the PJ Show and more. Plus, pics from around Pirate Nation. 94.3 The Game, now on Instagram. ECU basketball tomorrow against Temple. That game has been postponed because of the pause in ECU basketball activities. When we talked to Cy Seymour last week, we said, Cy, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. And Cy was good enough to live up to that commitment. The great Cy Seymour analyst on ECU radio broadcast for the last quarter century nearly uh, joins us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. He was good enough to honor that uh, commitment. I might have twisted his arm a little. Cy, how are you this morning? I'm doing fine. And uh, doing the best we can in this situation, Patrick. I, I feel sorry for anyone involved from uh, radio people, TV people, uh, players, coaches. It's just a, and administrators. It's got to be a headache. Everybody's got to be patient and flexible. It's very, very tough. You know Joe Dooley very well. You know this roster fairly well. A lot of returning kids from last year. Uh, give us kind of your insight what's going on uh, within the program right now dealing with this. Well, I know it's, it's got to be frustrating, and I'd say this across the board for any program. Everybody's holding their breath every time they go out. They're not sure if they're going to have the players. They don't know. I, I, I like where our program is heading. When you look at ECU and statistical categories in the conference, we have moved up in, in almost all the categories of where we were last year. In other words, everything's moving up. You, you know, you're fourth, you're fifth, you're sixth. You're in those ranges. You're as high as two in another one. But the problem is there's no consistency. And, and I know Joe, Joe Dooley building his program was thinking, well, it's, you know, we're doing some good things. It's looking a little bit better here. Uh, our team defense is better this year. Things along that line. And all of a sudden you look up and you're out for a week. And that, that's just that's tr- tough on everybody, including the visiting teams, everybody involved. So, I think you're in the Joe Dooley camp. You're you're trying to just get through this. That's all you're trying to do. Kids, some of them are scared. Mama's probably, and I'm just, look, this is hypothetical. Mama's baby calling and saying, you okay? 
I don't like this virus, and, and the kids are tentative. And, and so that's what we're all running into. This is a, this is a virus that, that is very difficult, and it's very difficult to everybody. And our society is used to, right now, we can get this done, let's move on. And this one's not that way. Yeah. It's, it's very tough. Cy Seymour with us uh, here on the Patrick Johnson Show, analyst on uh, the uh, – uh, Learfield IMG College Pirate Sports Network, and uh, Cy's been doing it for quite a while. Longtime coach and a great friend of uh, our show, but also me personally. Always great to catch up uh, with Cy Seabor to get his thoughts on uh, pirate basketball. What I think people don't realize, and maybe they do, they just maybe don't think about it, but when you have these long stretches, especially for ECU the last few weeks, where you're dealing with COVID issues and now you've ultimately paused the season, it's not like they're in the gym practicing. It's not like the yeah. guys are able to get together and work out per se. Uh, they're not allowed to go into the facility. So these long layoffs uh, between games, not only are you not in a rhythm as far as playing games, but you're also looking at not really being able to get in and stay sharp with practice and, and kind of keep your wind about you. Exactly. I mean, basketball is a game, and just like football in this sense, that uh, timing's a lot of it, you know. But, you know, the, the, the like for example, if you're setting screens on the backs on the on the ball side and running stuff. Well, there has to be moving away from it that kind of times out with when you make your cuts, so nobody will be there on the weak side to block a shot. My, my point is, it's a timing game, it's execution, and when when you don't when you don't practice. You, you can't do those things. And I'll tell you something. I, I, I'm not blaming, but I'm just saying you lose to South Florida. You have Tristan Newton, who is an integral part of your ball club that could not play. I mean, and when you're talking about conference games and you lose with six points and you don't have one of your uh, all-rookie players not being able to play, it makes a big difference. Then you throw in Farrakhan on a normal thing. Again. But you have two kids not playing in a major game. So – and look, that's, I'm not sour grapes for ECU. I'm saying that's going on every day for every program. Yeah. The, the Tristan Newton thing is interesting, Cy, because, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, people look at, well, you know, is, is this person scoring 10, 12, 15, 20 points? And Newton is capable of that. But there's some games where his scoring numbers aren't that, aren't that impressive. What is impressive is, and in, in a basketball mind like yourself knows this, I hope I, I'm recognizing it as well, he does a lot of other things defensively, uh, getting guys the ball in certain spots. Tristan Newton is kind of an integral part beyond scoring points. Now, his offense is helpful, but there's so many other things he does for Joe Dooley's team. And no doubt about it. When he can he can guard people and affect shots because of his length on the perimeter. I mean, he he really can affect the guard that's six feet one and he's six five and long. He can affect that shot. The other things he can do, he can rebound. He can get to the glass, offensive or defensive. He can get up there and get in it. Uh, and and I'll tell you what, another thing, and you, you're right, as a coach, you, you see it all the time too, so you're right there. At the end of a shot clock, he doesn't mind taking that shot. He doesn't mind going in, and, and he can put up above people because he's 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six at a guard. And, and generally speaking, he's going to finish. And so those things are a part of his game. Now, he's a sophomore, so this year I think he's been up and down a little more. But but you're right. He means a lot more to this ball club 
than the regular fan would know. And, and that's a big loss to Joe Dooley. Cy Seymour uh, joining us here, Patrick Johnson show that gets you to the weekend edition. We all can use a weekend. It just seems like this is the longest, uh, uh, this week has been the longest month of the year. I've been saying that the last couple of days. Cy, this has been a long <laughs> week. Right. Uh, so uh, we uh, we are glad to have Cy with us. He's such a ray of sunshine, uh, is the yeah. always positive uh, and, uh, and thoughtful Cy Seymour uh, joining us here. Uh, I'm going to ask a, a question that I'm asked commonly, and uh, I want to get your take on it. What is Aylin Jaden Gardner right now? Well, I think I think it's just COVID. I think it's I, I think it's a lot of kids. Uh, that You can't get like you said. You can't get in there, take the shots you want to take. You can't do the things you want to do. Uh, you, you're seeing that you're missing games when you want to play. It's so much inconsistent. And, and of all the guys, that's that consistent guy that needs that consistent practice and play. A guy like Jaden's one of them. I mean, he 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 works himself to death. And and right now you can't get into a rhythm. So it's it's not really Jaden as much as it is the environment of the whole game of college basketball. He's trying to do what he wants to do, but he can't get in a rhythm because of how we're playing. Cy, uh, Tremont Robinson-White, what a game uh, in the loss to USF. Uh, Is this an aberration or or is this something we can start to see a little more of? We've always said that. It's there in in, in Tremont. First of all, he is a great on-the-ball defender. He really does a good – and Tyree, and I, I think Brandon Suggs is one of the really bright spots this year. But on the ball defending, he's been tough. He's quick, and he can stay with anyone. And his shot is good. I mean, out of Utah, and now he's getting a little more confident. It was really good to see for the program to see that happen to him. Uh, because if you give him that weapon, if you give him that to go along with what he can do, he can be a real, real asset to this basketball program to a different level than he's been, and so I, I know it's exciting to see that. So if you're, and, and you know, when you look up at Brandon Suggs, second in the conference in percentage on three-point shooting, we've had some good. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of things going on that are good, but it, you, you just can't get a rhythm to it all. ECU is scheduled to play Temple tomorrow at 12 noon. That game is postponed. The uh, Pirates. Uh, uh, in a pause situation due to COVID-19. They'll also not have the game uh, coming up against uh, USF, uh, a rematch, if you will, that was scheduled to take place on uh, on Wednesday. So, Cy, Joe Dooley talked this week about uh, the post position, and uh, I know there, there actually still is a post position in basketball, believe it or not. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah, there are – Joe even talked this week, Cy, about we could see a little more Edra Luster. I mean, just to give him a shot. Uh, you know, just Charles Coleman's not really been a factor. Luigi fouls out in, what, 10, 11 minutes the other day? Um, right. Something's got to give with, I mean, in order to, to compete in this league, and I think give Jaden a little bit of relief in certain circumstances, uh, somebody uh, that now remaining trio of seven footers has to has to come through, don't they? Yeah, exactly. When you look at the leagues, if if you look at our lowest stat, and and again, this is better than a lot of things. We're eighth in offensive and defensive rebound. We're 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 down the line in that. And again, for Luigi, this is his first year in this stuff. I mean, when you really get down to it, he hadn't played against. He hadn't played that right. long, and right. Coleman's young. But but 
uh, Lustra uh, has a good shot, and he's got a real good basketball IQ. I mean, he really does. Oh, he's, he's an older he's, guy too. I mean, he's yeah. Even though he's a JUCO guy, I mean, he's he's kind of been through it a little bit. That's right, and and we've had rumors that he's going to get Lustra in the game. We just haven't seen it yet, but I, I trust Joe Joe Dooley. Whatever he wants to do to this ball club. And he's trying to find that. And really, when you draw from those three guys, I, I know uh, when you looked up the other day, the difference in that ball game was inside. They were bigger. Yeah. They were just – South Florida's big, did a nice job, and they had them all across the board. And uh, you could see that. And I know that's what Coach Dooley's saying, too. we got to get a little more size in there that's a little more active. So you, you got to see what goes. And, and, again, here's the problem, like you were talking about. You want to get him in, and now you can't practice. <laughs> it's part of what you're going through right now. Yeah, and I mean those big guys from a from a conditioning standpoint, they got to have they got to have something. I mean, they got to be in there and, and have something. They really do. Well, I'm with Coach Dooley. You're going to try anything you can to get this program right. And I was like, Damian Dunn. I want to see the kid because yeah. he played against them high. You know. Seventh score in the league, and, and he, he he left Kent, went down to Georgia to a high school. But that kid, has, he had twenty the other night against UCF, yeah. and he had seventeen and fifteen against SMU in back-to-back games. These are quality teams, and, and uh, he, I, I kind of want to see the kid. He's six-six and a pretty good player. But you know, those are the things you go to. But it, it amazes me, and when you look up, there's so many kids out of Kent that just go places. And, this kid, of course, left the area. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you didn't see him much that same year, but God, that's a that's a hotbed over there. At, at, uh, well, yeah, I, I saw them last night. Not, not you now the Styles kid didn't play. He's going to Carolina. They got a nice junior guard who's maybe a mid-level uh, player. Uh, but you know, Washington's got some really good basketball players. Uh, again, I maybe don't think quite the level uh, to get uh, to to the American, maybe, but. You know, kids that'll go play. And look, I, you've done this for so long. Your son coaches. Uh, my dad coaches. Uh, we both love it. I, I'm I'm thrilled. Any kid that can go on D3, D2, JUCO, oh, yeah. D1, yeah. low D1, high D. Any kid from the East that can take that ability and, and advance their life, uh, I, I I have a sense of pride for all of them, really. Exactly right. Because it's exactly, a great that's thing. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. But I, I want to – but you do kind of bring up a good point. And this is something that is talked about and talked about. It's been talked about as long as you've been following it. It's talked about as long as I've been following it, 26 years now. ECU recruiting in the East. Why doesn't whoever the coach is? Why doesn't Joe Dooley? Why don't, why don't the Pirates recruit such and such kid from this Eastern North Carolina high school? What is the – there's no easy answer, but just what's your philosophy and what would be your answer to somebody who asked that question? Well, I, first of all, I think, I think they do. I think every coach recruits wherever the best players are. Uh, and then sometimes you just don't get them. You know, I mean, Joe is working hard to get good players in the area. He's looking at a kid right now that's a you know, younger kid. He's, he's looking at them. He sees them. Uh, the, the question is when he gets down to it, will they fall? Harder to have the grades, so things like that come into play. And and, and uh, I think Joe is the best at at, at covering this area. He, he he he's just such a good recruiter. He's going to go after kids. He's really hit the North Carolina market heavy. Some coaches haven't. They just have not done that to that level. But Joe Joe is doing that. 
And, and a lot of times it is that it is the old, it is the big four mentality of I don't know if we can get them. Now, what I like about Joe, he he's been on top of all three kids. Uh, one, he had him, thought he had him, then he goes to Louisville. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. He, he, Bobby, he Bobby Pettiford, Bobby, who's, yeah. who's, who's, I think is going to be a pro, and he winds right. up going to Louisville. I mean that, but you're right, the Pirates were all over. They were, they, they, and the Pirates pulled him early, and, and, and there are really more. There's a lot of kids that Joe's been on and trying to get, and he'll break, he'll break through. Well, he'll so, it, it's really going to take one. And yeah. if that happens, because here's the other reality, too. This isn't the, the good old days of the coach goes to the high school game, and that's the first time. I mean, they're playing – these kids, especially the good ones, are playing year-round. And right. these events in the summer are the events where a lot of the recruiting's done. Well, and he has great contacts in the AAU. I mean, he really does. Yeah, you have but, to. But he, he is all over. Uh, anywhere there's a good player. And if they're in North Carolina, he's going after them. He thinks he can, they can help this program. And that's the way he recruits. And, he, and, and you know, if you, that's what you have to do. Yeah. And, and that, that's, but I, I know when you're looking back and you see the Jarvis Lines go somewhere and things, you say, man, how did we miss on these kids? Or, it, 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 it's frustrating at times. But then again, Joe, I think, is turning that corner. And if he just gets a break and gets a couple of kids, you're going to really see uh, an improvement. And we're seeing it even in the program now. Let me ask you about uh, AAU and its influence on the high school basketball. Um, again, if it allows kids to get recruited and get exposure that maybe otherwise would not get that exposure, I think that's great. But there's a side to this influence on individual players, but also influence on the game that a lot of people have been critical of. What is your kind of thoughts on the evolution of AAU and travel basketball over the last couple decades? Well, I think, I think it, it really got out of hand. I think that's, and, and now the NCAA has jumped in and it's not as visible as it once was. What I'm saying is there are teams, but there are only certain times that coaches can go watch them. Where in the past, you could go to tournaments all over the place and see kids all the time. Now they're limited. Coach, college coaches are limited to how many times they can see an a, uh, uh, an amateur tournament like that. So it, it's it's trying to rate, go back more to you got to go see them in high school. You got to check them out a little bit more there. I think the structure is better for high school uh, for kids, but I, I understand they want to play, and I understand that, but. The problem is with AAU, they can change teams next week. In other words, a kid can be on one team one week and he says, I'm not getting playing time there. I may switch teams. Well, that's the kind of stuff that happens in AAU. And and the NCAA is saying, wait a minute. We need to be putting more credibility back with the high school. You can't go – college coaches can't go to as many – see, it's real simple. A college coach can go to a, uh, an AAU tournament. There's 64 teams there. So he can – he can see a lot of kids with his assistants all over the place. Well, they're cutting it back on not seeing as many tournaments. And so the high school coach has got to become a, a more a, – a bigger factor in the development of the kid. I, and I believe that. I think because they're with them at school. They're with them during a time when, you know, they got to get their grades. Are they disciplined? Things along that line. And so I really believe in that being the focal point 
And, of course, AAU ball, you want to play it, you want to be a part of it because it can get your game better in some of the summers. I understand that, too. Cy Seymour uh, with us, no pirate basketball uh, for uh, really uh, over a week. Sunday uh, right now is the next scheduled game a week from Sunday, uh, Memphis, and that will be a, uh, a tough putt. Uh, Cy, we'll uh, maybe talk to you next week at some point ahead of that one. Thanks for the time here this afternoon. Yeah, glad to be with you, and let's try to stay safe and get some games in. Absolutely, Cy. Uh, be positive, test negative, as Coach Dooley and others around the country have said, and uh, we'll continue to try to do that. Uh, it's a Patrick Johnson show. Ben Byram with a look at what's going on beyond uh, pirate basketball in the world of sports with our update. Ben? Ben Barham here for your 94th of the game sports update. Pirate Baseball has finally released a schedule with opening day set for February 19th in Keith LeClaire Stadium as they'll host a series of Rhode Island. The Pirates are set to play 18 of their 24 conference games at home with 34 home games on the season altogether. Some local high school volleyball teams advanced in the NCHSAA state tournament. Crosstown rivals J.H. Rose and D.H. Conley have both moved on to the Elite Eight in the 3A state tournament. Top-seeded Conley defeated 8th-seeded Cedar Ridge 3 sets to one. They'll take on 12-seeded Chapel Hill. 15-seeded Jay Trose shut out 10th-seeded Hunt. Three sets to none. They'll move on to six-seeded Person. Local high school hoops tipping off tonight in the independent slate. Five and six JP2 hosts five and three Greenfield here in Greenville. And four and ten Greenville Christian Academy travels to five and three Trinity Christian. Meanwhile, on the public school slate, two and one Kinson takes on one and one Green Central. One and two North Pitt hosts one and one DH Conley. Three and oh South Central matches up against O and two Southern Wayne. And one and two J Tros battles one and two CBA cock. College hoops tipping off tonight, starting off at seven. Campbell down in Bowie's Creek hosts Presbyterian. The Fighting Camels are eight-point favorites with the over/under at 130 and a half. App State travels to South Alabama. The Mountaineers are two and a half point underdogs. The over/under at 134 and a half. And at nine, Rutgers has a tough task at hand as they take on ninth-ring Wisconsin. Wisconsin Badgers are the two and a half point favorites. The over/under at 133 and a half. Wrapping up with the odds for the NFL. Playoffs this weekend. We're down to the Elite Eight in the divisional playoffs, and it all starts tomorrow as the Packers host the Rams. Kickoff is set for 435 on Fox. Green Bay is favored of the Rams by six and a half points. The over-under at 45 and a half. Later on tomorrow at 815, the Ravens travel to Buffalo to take on the Bills. The Ravens are the underdogs by two and a half points. The over-under at 49 and a half. The action then continues Sunday as the Browns let to keep the ball rolling against the Chiefs at 305. Kansas City is favored by 10 points. The over-under at 57. And wrapping up all the excitement on Sunday at 6.40 on Fox, Breeze versus Brady, possibly the final installment as the Saints host the Buccaneers. Tampa Bay is the underdogs by a field goal, the over-under at 52. If you're a 94 through the game sports update, I'm in Barham. Miss a moment. Remember, there will be a test. You can log on to the brand new 943thegame.com for the podcast of the PJ Show. Plus, what's going on with sports in Pitt County and around the globe. And the latest on the ECU Pirates. Log on today. The brand new 943thegame.com. You are dismissed. Tweet at us. <gasps> at 943thegame. Oh, friends. At p on Air. It's not like a cult, is it? Sound off and tell us what's on your mind. 943thegame and p on Air on Twitter. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 943thegame and 943thegame.com. hot to me. I don't know. There we go. Nikki Novak from Fandango. It is uh, a fun Friday staple 
on the Get You to the Weekend edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. And by golly, we need a weekend, don't we? Uh, Fandango's Nikki Novak joining us here on the program. I love being called a staple. Yes. So I, I, I have a confession, Nikki Novak. Oh, do as hell. It, it didn't realize this was a confessional. Fabulous. Yes, it's a confessional edition. I have not watched the first part of the Tiger Woods documentary. Oh, you haven't? No, okay. I, had, cool. I had every intention of watching it on Wednesday, actually during the time where we normally would have the show because we were being preempted by basketball that afternoon. Right. However, basketball got postponed. So we had to do it. Well, I should say we had to do a show. We, we did a show. So the time I had allotted in my busy week to watch the Tiger documentary went by the boards. And Listen, you know what they say about intention? Mm, <laughs> Without yes. action. Right. So uh, my, my plan, as soon as this show is over. Like right now? In a minute, yeah, in a few minutes. I'm going to watch the Tiger documentary. So I'm set up for Sunday, which will be part two on HBO. So I will be able to talk about this in some detail. Now, the thing, yes, in next week. But but here's the thing about the the world of sports. The, The dominant stories have been, you know, obviously football. We had the national championship earlier in the week. Uh, we yeah. have a big trade in the NBA this week. We've got college basketball games being postponed and uh, COVID causing a pause in the season, and et cetera. So, I mean, in other words, there are other things uh, across the spectrum to talk about. So I don't feel like we're behind the eight ball in any way because we're, you know, uh, not talking. T- in other words, I don't think uh, the, the Tiger talk there. If this had been out in the spring, I think there'd have been a ton of buzz. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying yeah. it's not well, buzz. I'm, I'm d- hearing more buzz this week than I was last week. And right. I think because it's a two-parter, I think a lot of people figure, okay, I'll catch up on the first one or I'll watch them both sort of back-to-back kind of thing. But have you heard, for, have, have you talked to anybody who's seen it in the sports world, in your sports world? Right. Um, no, I have not because, but I also have, I, I also haven't been listening. A guest we were going to have on Wednesday to talk to about it was late calling us, so we only could get in a couple of questions on it. Right. So that didn't work out. Uh, I know uh, our guy we work for here, the Big Hen. I understand he saw it the other, kind of you know, watched it not on Sunday but one night during the week, and talked a little bit about it. But I, I didn't really hear much of that. So, no, Nikki, you're the only person in the world you're of anything that I've really talked to about this, and I haven't seen the damn thing. So I, 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 don't, I feel like I'm ill-equipped to, to talk about it. I mean, I, here, here's what I have gathered from part one, and I think, again, we knew some of this. Earl Woods, Tiger's father, shaped him and was in some ways a great influence, but in a lot of ways uh, – <sighs> psychologically who knows what damage he did and and, well, and and look tiger's got to make his decisions to pursue whatever he winds up pursuing and, and i understand you know part one is the real heroic part we're now getting to the the downfall part with part two from what i understand but i mean i, I just i don't see 
and I, I maybe I'm speaking out of turn here and I'll have a different opinion after I watch it. Uh, you know, psychologically, who knows what this did to Tiger? I mean, here's someone who wanted, I guess, to have a relationship with a, a beautiful girlfriend in high school and they really cared and loved each other. And that was forbidden in a way. Yeah, well, I mean, that's sort of, it, it, it is, that's kind of in part one because it is his upbringing and it is, it, it, she is interviewed throughout the documentary. So the one thing you don't see is sort of his side of it. Was he in love with her too? And But what you do see is a lot of photos, videos of them hanging out and, and you see like, yeah, there's Tiger Woods as a 17, 18 year old, but at the same time, you know, he's just like goofing around in a way that you've almost never seen him before. Like he's just a goofy guy, like singing and doing silly things. And I guess one night he, you know, snuck out of the house or stayed out past his curfew. And she sort of claims that, you know, the, the parents, his parents, both his mom and dad were furious. And basically the next day he broke up with her and they never spoke again. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's kind of explored. And, you know, I guess that's the big question. And, and what this documentary really does is makes you, you know, everybody sort of sees, you know, somebody sinking a pot on the 18th hole at a gut zone winning and going, oh, my God, I'd do anything to have that life. But, um, you know, it really drills home the level of dedication, how his father foresaw this for him, that he was going to be like the greatest player ever type thing from the well, time he was a like, hi. And, and, and it seems like Earl Woods wanted him to be a little more of a social change agent a la Muhammad Ali. Um, and, and, and I don't know if that's Tiger's personality. He, he's, he became the greatest golfer and I think the greatest sports figure for a short period of time on the planet with the retirement of Michael Jordan. I, I, yeah. I think he was the guy. Um, I, I don't know how comfortable he was with, you know, the the – social and political side of it again I, and well, this, these are just yeah. bits and pieces that i've picked up along the way and talking yeah, to people they, so they do a really good job of kind of giving you a, the whole picture and not one side of the story like i think i said this last week just when i was like ah you know especially with the, the scandal the second part that comes out on sunday i was like oh i'm so mad at him but then and then just when I was like, oh, no, 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 it's all his fault. And then you sort of see the flip side. They show you the flip side. So they show you sort of a, the whole picture. And they really give you a sense of, um, you know, how, especially I think, you know, a lot of athletes and I, um, I've, I've been around athletes. I've dated, dated a couple of athletes. <laughs> and I know. <laughs> I know, and I and I when I say a friend, I really don't mean this is me. But I have a I have a friend that dated a famous tennis player, and I won't say which tennis player, and I won't say her name. But she said it was so strange because they'd go out, and everybody, you know, would fawn all over him and whatnot. And then he'd get home, and he had one person to tell him when to take his vitamins, and one person feeding him, and on a training schedule. And he was in a way very grown up, but in a way like a child. Because they're they're so groomed well, from such a young yeah, age, I, I think that they too, never uh, develop yeah, in some ways. Tennis is is a lot like that, but also tennis is an individual sport, like golf is. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the ultimate. So, right. And you know, point. we we talk about Michael Jordan's drive, and and I get that because you have to have that in order to make and the work you got to put in the work in order to be, but. You know, there's other guys who are probably less talented 
in their respective sports than Jordan was and that Tiger are, who didn't have as nearly good an upbringing uh, as Tiger apparently did, and, and apparently as Michael Jordan did, and just didn't have the talent of those two. Now, they may have worked their ass off when they became professional or on the quest to become professional, and they may have done the same thing, you know, 1,000 jump shots, uh, you know, 1,000 range balls a day, whatever. They just didn't have the talent of those guys. I guess what I'm, I'm saying is, and you know this, Nikki, people in this industry, there are some people that are just so focused in, in sports entertainment, that's their entire drive. Yeah. And uh, they just don't have time for the others. And there's, and there's some people who are a little more smell the roses types of, of people. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I see it with actors, too. I've, I've seen actors, like, I always use Leonardo DiCaprio as a great example. He, when he was, you know, really young, he did that movie, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, like, the raw natural talent at that age was just outstanding, right? And then he went through, not that, look, I'm, I'm not here to judge him, but I think he went through a period where everybody, and everybody goes through this, and maybe it's the same as like when Tiger changed his swing. When people are like, well, are you changing your swing? And it's like, but, you know, you can only go so far with raw natural talent. You have to right. really work at yeah. it. And I think yeah. even Leo had a period of time where the, the raw natural talent only takes you so far. But then I've also seen, I have colleagues that I've worked with who also shall remain nameless, who I write them off at the beginning. I'm like, oh, this kid, you know, there's a lot of really young people in Hollywood early 20s sort of coming up and oh, I'm going to be a big producer one day I'm going to be and within a year two years the drive the drive so yeah I mean let's be age old you know some people like even in like you said a great tennis match there's always that player that just wants it a little bit more yeah. in that moment like the great matches between like Federer and, and and Nadal or Djokovic or whoever there's that you, you almost feel it before it ends even if it's in a fifth set tiebreak or whatever it is you feel that one person just is a little bit hungrier and sometimes it's that and it's not even the most talented it's a whole look i could talk about this for hours yeah. uh, no, but anyway going back to tiger i really felt for and what was interesting about what they showed you about the relationship with the father and i hadn't really read that much about the relationship with the dad other than i know they kind of had that falling out but it really showed you as, you know, his dad was getting ill, you know, yeah, later years. Yeah. We really had to have that moment of reconciliation in a sense, because it's like, look, I think they really were estranged for a while, but then he really felt that, I know his dad didn't come to that many tournaments and he was, he was questioned a lot, but I think he really um, kind of had to come into his own, but that wasn't even like, I think he tried. And then he had that huge, of course, like, when he was arrested with the DUI and the whole thing. We get, um, we get, know, in, yeah, we get into all of that, I guess, in the second part on, um, yeah, on uh, Sunday night on HBO at 9 o'clock. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting? It's, I think we've all seen that video of the DUI and him, you know, staggering on the street, and they had the video of him in prison, you know, in jail. And, and when you take it out of context, it was kind of at the time, like, whoa, Tiger Woods, our hero, and that, that kind of thing. But when they put it in the whole context of the story and this whole documentary, I almost couldn't watch it because yeah. it was so heartbreaking. Yeah. It was so heartbreaking that this guy, and you were so embarrassed for him because because what they show you in the documentary is how much pressure he has on him and how I, all the eyeballs are on him and, and to what level. I mean, you imagine it, but they really show it to you. So then to have that kind of national or worldwide embarrassment, it was just heartbreaking. So hard to watch. Um yeah. Yeah. So you really feel for him in a way, like, you know, just how this 
guy was just, you know, this is this in a way became an outlet. And, you know, it came about all the pills and that through the back surgery medication. A lot of people get addicted to those um, medications. So. It's it's a to me, the Tiger Woods story has always been fascinating because it's someone that wanted to control the and still does wants to control the public persona narrative. Yeah. But I mean, it's proven out to be a tragic, flawed character which almost makes what he has achieved that much more amazing in a lot of ways. And yeah. and you know this, uh, as we're speaking to Nikki Novak from Fandango, being a great golf fan. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, he is liked a lot better now, uh, particularly yeah. by this young generation, because that's the generation he inspired. And it's interesting, you know, we talked to Brian Mull a lot on here who covers golf. And Brian has told the story about, uh, to me off air, that it was a lot of those younger guys who kind of got Tiger back out and playing as he was getting over his back issues. You know, they were the ones yeah. that would call him. So, I mean, it's, in a lot of ways, you know, everybody got all uh, goo-goo-gaga over the Michael Jordan Bulls thing, which, I mean, was fine. I mean, it was good. I, it was interesting. But the Tiger stuff, on to me, and that's why I'm really enthusiastic to watch this. I just need to find time, 90 minutes to do it, um, it is fascinating to me because there, there, it's, there's a lot of different shades and levels to this. It's a complex story in a lot of ways. It's a very complex story. Like, that's why I say I, I felt one way and then I felt another way. And then I, you know, felt for the mom and then I felt for the dad and then I felt, you know, and, and these things are passing generations a lot of the time. And yeah. So you even get a little bit into like why his father was the way he was. Yeah. And, uh, and, but at the same time, loved his son so much, like so much and just really wanted the best for him and did the best he could. And I think most yeah. parents do the best they can, even if they mess up. But look what he created at the same time. Like, I wonder... You know, I'm sure he Tiger wouldn't trade it in for anything, but you know, it's come with come at a great price. But you know, maybe he would. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I remember one time. So I think I told you, I I um I've, I've met a, met him a couple of times, and I'll never forget. And for anybody who's seen him play in person, I got to go and watch. He was filming a commercial once, and I got to go on set. and And in the commercial, he had to like hit. The, it was out on a golf course, and he had to hit the ball. <laughs> when you watch these players play in person the rotation of their bodies in that it's like a well-oiled machine like yeah. it looks cool on tv but i remember watching that his swing and like we were allowed to video it and i went that i like snuck a video and i went home and just watched it and showed it to my dad he's really into golf my brother I was like look at it like it's just phenomenal right. and you just well you know here, i mean it's, here, it's unreal and here's why we've spent 15 minutes talking about him so my brother and I go, the only time I've been to Augusta to the Masters, my brother and I went a few, uh, it's probably been 15 years ago now. And my brother's not a big sports fan, but he was excited to go to Augusta. He actually got the tickets. He was excited to go to Augusta. He was excited to kind of take in the pageantry. Because, again, the Masters is an event like the Super Bowl, uh, like the Final Four. Um, it, it's bigger than the event in a way. You know, the, 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 the stuff surrounding it, the tradition surrounding it, but also just kind of the – uh, all the events and all that. You know that about the Super Bowl because you've been a big part of that over the years. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, there's such a, a tradition and the Masters is bigger than any golfer. But, we, you know, the people that, the, that work there, uh, volunteers that are there, 
extremely friendly, and they were asking us, you know, what players we where we were from and what players we were interested in seeing. And my brother, again, not a noted sports fan, blurts out immediately, Tiger. I just it, it transcends. I mean, every, you know, either you loved him or hated him, but I mean, it was one of those transcending sports figures, and uh, yeah, uh, you know that it, it just it, it's quite amazing. We've taken up a lot of time here, Nikki Novak with Fandango. <laughs> I know uh, it's a fascinating topic. No, it really is, and I can't. I really cannot wait to sit down and watch this this evening, and I can't wait oh, to, well, for yeah, part two. And then we'll talk about it for another fifteen minutes next week. <laughs> Everybody be prepared. Right. Be prepared. Right, but, but uh, let, let me get you really quickly, uh, maybe in like a sixty-second. Uh, deal this WandaVision Disney Plus uh, I guess it's part of the Marvel deal just kind of give the primer on that in 60 seconds in 60 seconds or less basically you know we didn't have a Marvel movie last year because of the pandemic everything got pushed it was there was supposed to be a couple Marvel movies that came out that are all coming out this year and next year uh, so but this is the first spin-off show of like the Avengers characters so uh, it's Wanda and Vision who are a couple in the Marvel Universe um, if you remember where they ended off in, in Endgame, you know, things didn't end well for Paul Bettany's character, but it's Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen set in the 50s sitcom. And you're kind of like, wait, how are they all of a sudden in a sitcom? Um, this is going to be, I think, eight episodes. I've seen the first three. The first two are available on Disney+. Plus. It, w- it does give you hints of how it fits into the bigger Marvel picture, but it pays homage to, and it takes you through the decades, the series, 50s, 60s, 70s, and all the famous sitcom and it is brilliant it is really I'm, I was blown away when I first saw the trailers I was like hey, I don't know I'm telling you this is this is up there with Thor Ragnarok and Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy and all the funniest best Marvel stuff um, there you go was that 60 seconds it was like 63 <laughs> but we can live with it okay. all right Nikki okay. Nikki Novak from Fandango uh, Nikki thanks we'll talk to you next week Great. Right, have a good one. Enjoy watching. <laughs> I, I will get around to it here in a matter of minutes. Thank you, Nikki. <laughs> I'll let you go. <laughs> Back to wrap it up on a Friday. Get you to the weekend edition after this. And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. <laughs> it's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. Thanks. Uh, Adam Gold had me on the uh, program today. It was nice to be on with uh, AG and Josh Graham also there, JG. So uh, a lot of fun with those guys today. Ben and I with our NFL divisional round playoff picks for the weekend. Uh, I like the Bills. It'll be close in that one. Uh, Over, under. uh, Probably take the under in, uh, in that one. Uh, Browns Chiefs, I think the Chiefs roll by more than two scores. Fox Saturday, Rams and Packers, uh, that's a 4.30 uh, kick. I'll take Green Bay in that one. Bucks Saints will be the Sunday Fox game at 6.40. Uh, I'm going Bucks in that one. I'm just, I, I don't know, I feel like Tampa is playing really, really well right now, especially on offense. I like the Buccaneers defensively. I'm just not a believer in the Saints. I think this is the... Uh, the kind of fait accompli uh, in the uh, partnership uh, in, with Drew Brees and Sean Payton. This uh, this may be it. Of course, we've said that before in, in certain circumstances, but this just has that feel to it. Ben, what do you have? I think when you look at Packers-Rams, I think the answer is pretty obvious. It's going to be the Packers. I mean, you're talking about Jared Goff. Probably shouldn't even be playing today. 
two to that injury. That tells me that they're going to rely heavily on the run. And even though Green Bay's got a very suspect run defense, I don't think it's going to be enough to control the game and kind of get into a shootout or outscore the Green Bay offense. Moving on to Ravens Bills, uh, I got to take the Bills in that one mainly because I don't think I don't think Lamar Jackson looked really good throwing the ball. I think he had no touchdowns and interception for sub 200 yards passing last week against the Titans. That's a team that's primarily revolved around the run game, and I just don't think you can really rely on that against the high-powered offense of the Bills. It's another situation where if you're going to get in a shootout with the Bills, especially with the great defense that they have, I just don't think you can outscore them just running the ball. Another aspect that I don't think is being talked about enough in that game is I think in Buffalo they're expecting snow tomorrow, and and I don't really know how Baltimore and Lamar Jackson are going to be prepared for that and ready for that. You would have to think, just given the weather conditions alone, you got to favor the Bills. Browns, Chiefs, I think the answer is pretty obvious, even though I love the Browns and I love Baker Mayfield. you got to go Chiefs. I mean, that's the safe, solid pick, probably the easiest pick. When you look at the Browns, I don't think their secondary is good enough to maintain and contain that high-powered Chiefs offense, especially in the passing game. They're just getting Denzel Ward back, I think, either yesterday or today. That's your best corner outside of that. bunch of no-names I never heard of. I don't think it's going to be enough to stop that Chiefs passing attack. And then you wrap it up with Bucks, Saints. That th- This one's tough. I mean, I would have to flip a coin on this one. When you look at the Bucks. They are a great defense, but primarily they found a lot of success blitzing. It's not necessarily their coverage skills. It's all blitzing. Just finding a way to get after the quarterback or whoever has the ball. And we've seen it a little bit earlier this year that the Saints kind of exposed that when they hammered them, I think, on Thursday night or Monday night football, like 35-3. to I haven't watched a lot of Bucks games recently, but unless something significantly changes, I don't think that the Bucks are going to be able to do enough, even with that dynamic offense, to overcome the Saints and the wittiness of Drew Brees and Sean Payton. So I got the Saints in that one. Okay, we'll see how he did uh, Monday. Speaking of Monday, I'll be in for Trent McGee on Talk of the Town, News and Sports alongside the Big Hen. Uh, join us on our sister station, WTIB 7 to 9. On Monday morning, as I'll be on the TOT. Also, uh, Monday, Cliff Godwin will be with us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Pirate Baseball releasing their schedule today in case you missed it. Uh, Go back and relive the magic of that presentation on the podcast, which will be up. Or you can uh, obviously go to our social media. We're linked to all of the official releases uh, there. But Pirate Baseball slated to start on February 19th. No ECU hoops tomorrow. Women will play at 1 o'clock against Houston. Williams Arena Minji's Coliseum. And uh, big thanks today to Cy Seymour for being with us. Nikki Novak, Ben Byram for the great job he does. We will see you on Monday. Monday.